humility is actually a skill, right? Being a team player is a skill. Being paying attention to detail is a skill. Showing up on time is a skill. And they start to put the two together and they realize, and they see these older guys and, and women that are living it out. And they go, wow, they're, they went through a lot of crap in their life. They were broken, but look what they became. I could be that too. Well, hey guys, and welcome back to the Kingdom Business Podcast. Uh, my guest this week has a wonderful story, uh, a real heart to see the Kingdom of God made manifest in the marketplace, uh, a, lo a long journey to get to that point, and so we're going to unpack a lot of that. It's going to be really, really cool, and, uh, and you're going to see a wonderful example of a Kingdom entrepreneur who is using business to do what we would call his assignment. David, it is so good to have you on the show with us. Why don't you start off by telling us who is David Haytag? Wes, thanks for having me. It's, it's a real pleasure. You're on the other side of the world. It's your morning and my evening. <laughs> so, um, yeah, my name's David Haytag. I, and it depends who you ask. I'm either the husband to my 34-year-long marriage to my wife, Tracy. I'm a father to my three grown sons. I'm a father-in-law to my three grown to their wives. I'm a grandfather, uh, obviously a business owner. Um, you know, but, but at heart, I'm obviously a follower of Jesus. But if I had to be totally honest, you know, I, I just turned 60 this year and the older I get, the more I realize, you know, how broken, you know, I've been most of my life, right? And we all have issues. We all have addictions. And I think for me, my journey has been God just uncovering things in my life that needed to be healed. And I continue to experience that. And I think using my business and ministering to kids, high school students, I'm getting in touch with who I was <laughs> back in high school. And those issues have not gone away. They've just kind of manifested in different ways. I was a very insecure, uh, broken kid. Uh, alcoholism has been very rampant on both sides of my family. I grew up with that. I think the first time I was drunk, I was eight years old uh, at a family wedding. And, you know, and so I, you know, I'm, I'm obviously an adult child of an alcoholic. My, my grandfather died as a homeless person. So we have generations of, of stuff, right, that we all have. And I think a big part of who I am is, you know, God, can you help press reset for my family and with my boys and my wife? And, and have a new legacy moving forward for hopefully generations because I think we've been broken for a long time. And I'm just very, uh, put it this way, I moved to tears a lot lately. Maybe I'm just getting old and sentimental, <laughs> but just to see the goodness of God uh, come through all, all the hard times and kind of weave things together to where we're at today. Yeah, well, that's cool. And I think, you know, if you look at the I don't journey... know how. If you well, I don't know the, how vulnerable and open you want me to get, but I'll be open with you. So well, we, 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 would, back. we would rather have the real David than, you know, like, like a facade <laughs> one. You know, I mean, it, it, that, I mean, your life kind of maps to the Apostle Paul. I mean, you know, the closer you get to God, the more you realize how broken you are and were. Because, I mean, you know, Paul's, Paul's first writing is, I studied under the super apostles and they added nothing to my message. His final writing is, I'm the chief of sinners, right? You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, I, I, think, I think it's meant to be clearer. And, and it's God's job description to take us from glory to glory, right? 
That's, that's what he wants to do as we work out our salvation. And so it, it would be natural that you, at the closer that you draw to the Lord, the, the more you realize areas of your current life, areas of my life that aren't great and, and, yeah. and, and the past. I mean, it's, it does shine a really big light on, on, on sin and sinfulness and, and, and things like that. So, yeah. um, but how, but, but how good that we can see that throughout our life. Hey, like what a, yeah. what a blessing. Yeah. And your family tree yeah. is changed forever, yeah. you know, because of, because of your decision and your yeah. wife's decision to, to, to live this way. So, that's a really cool story. Um, now, your the the business that you're in has been a family business, right? And Correct. so, family business. But how did that intersect with faith? Where did was there any faith in the family? You started working there, I think, from the age of like five or six. Like, so tell us about tell us about those early years. So, my home life was very interesting because my, my, as I said, my grandfather died as a homeless person so my father was was very influenced obviously by by that and and so the faith part of it my mother became a very devout believer early on in their marriage as, a, as an adult and my father did early on but then he rejected it all he walked away from it he became a very angry atheist um, he claimed to be an atheist so I grew up in this home that man which side do I pursue which side are we on and so I, I tried to walk in the middle of the road, but I ended up siding with my my father in my teenage years and drank heavily, you know, binge drinking. And, you know, frankly, in the business sense, the the, the shop, as we call it, we're a gear shop manufacturing company, um, was very, <laughs> we had a quarter barrel beer in the lunchroom fridge. Right. And there's parties constantly. There's pornography everywhere. And that's the that's the world I grew up in. And meanwhile, my mother, very devout, praying for me constantly. I remember one night I, I came home just terribly drunk, passed out, woke up the next morning. And there she is sitting at the foot of my bed. I think she had been praying for me all night and just kind of warning me. It's like, son, you know, this is not what God intends for you. But it it took kind of a, a road to Damascus experience for me because I was I was working in the shop after high school. Um, I worked right went right into the business as a machinist. Um, didn't go to college for a long time, and had this this uh, experience where I just got in touch with all the brokenness of our whole culture and our business. Um, I I fell into it, and a year and a half after high school, I was so depressed, suicidal. Um, it, the, the life just held nothing for me. And it was, it was, uh, during that time, I was also becoming a, I was starting in endurance sports as a runner, just to run away from, I think all the pain and all the, all the stuff I was feeling inside. That was the one time I could just shut everything out. And it was on one of those runs that I kind of had a, uh, well, I, not kind of, I had one of those divine moments where God spoke very, very clearly to me. I swear it was an audible voice. He said, you're not alone, repeated it twice. All the horrible things in my life flashed before my eyes. And uh, he just made it clear that I'm here. I've never left you. I've been with you ever since you were a child. Um, what are you going to do with it? And, and there's this overwhelming sense of love and purpose that I'm not an accident. I'm here for a reason. So at that point, you go, what do you do with it? You know, you have this, this crazy life-changing experience. I couldn't tell my dad because he would be very upset and I couldn't tell my mother because she would be so thrilled my dad would get angry <laughs> so I didn't tell anybody for a little while um and, and long story short 
you know, I started, you know, digging in the Bible. I started making incredible Christian friends, going to a church, and God um, just radically turned my world upside down. But I needed to leave. I needed to get away from that environment. So I actually kind of ran away from home uh, in a way. I moved to California. I was gone for seven years, and and I ended up going to college. I ended up going to Regent College uh, up in Vancouver, a graduate school, theological graduate school, and it was there that. Everybody said I was. Everybody had told me I was supposed to be a pastor because that's that's the thing, right? You have this zealous experience, and you you love God. Well, what's the natural thing? Oh, you're supposed to be a missionary or or a, at least a Sunday school teacher, um, or at least a pastor or something full time ministry, right? And so, um, I ended up working at a church. Kind of had a burnout experience, and while I was at Regent College, I had one of those classes that examines your gifting, your calling, what colors your parachute. And it was during that class that the results came back and said, you are uniquely gifted to run a small family-owned manufacturing business. <laughs> and you have to understand that was the last place on the planet I would go back to. I swore I'd never go back. I said, God, send me anywhere in the world, but do not send me back to Edgerton Gear and that horrible dysfunction of my, my family business. Um, but in obedience, we went back and we we... We thought, oh, we'll just bring the kingdom into the business. Everybody will just sit up and sing Kumbaya and say, thanks for coming. <laughs> you turn the business around. And honestly, it was it was two years of hell, and then it got worse because we were trying to change a culture that was so dysfunctional and broken that it took a tremendous toll on, on our marriage. Uh, we were having little babies at the time. At the 10-year mark, uh, my wife had told me later that she was going to leave me. She couldn't handle the stress and my my depression, my anger and brokenness. And I kept trying to run away from that. It's like, God, what do you have to do with the machine shop of all places in the world? This makes no sense. And slowly and surely, uh, change started to come. And I remember one night, it was about the 10 or 12-year mark, where I was laying in bed so burned out. I was so frustrated. Um, I said, Lord, if you want me to die on the shop floor, just take me because I I don't know what the purpose of all of this is. I don't get it. And it was this, this total surrender to his will. I stopped fighting him and things started to change. My attitude started to change. We started seeing more evidences of God working in the shop and in, in our employees. And uh, I <laughs> keep in mind, I thought we'd come back for maybe five years, turn the business around, sell it and walk away. And this is my 31st anniversary of being back in the business. <laughs> so, <laughs> so be careful when you say, I'll swear I'll never come back to something. Yeah. something. God may have other plans. Hey, I wanted to jump in here during the podcast and let you know about Greenhouse Media. It's one of the service offerings inside the Business Greenhouse suite of services. And it's essentially, we're a full service digital marketing agency. And there's a lot of agencies out there, but there's a couple of things that make us unique. The first thing is, is that I'm only interested in business results. I'm not out there trying to get people more comments, more likes, more shares. I just want to drive people results that matter. Good quality phone calls, good quality lead forms, ultimately the lead generator that helps you scale your business. The second thing that makes us unique is we're a collaborative team under one roof. So whereas in years gone by, you might have one provider for your website, one provider for SEO, one provider for Google, and then if things don't work, they all point the finger. We are all accountable and collaborative to make sure that we together work on achieving the outcomes you want. So we've got hundreds of clients and thousands of campaigns running. 
across Australia and beyond. Uh, and Jamie heads up as head of strategy that side of the business. Jamie, why don't you tell us some of the results that we've had with our clients recently? Yeah, we've taken hundreds of businesses across different industries um, through our process. Um, some standouts for me over the last 12 months. We took a plumbing company um, from one location to four locations across three states, um, all through website built by our team, Google Ads and Facebook Ads. Um, we scaled an e-commerce business. We doubled their revenue in the last 12 months and they had their best year yet. Um, we took a mechanic in Sydney from you know, very few leads to over 350 phone calls um, per month um, over six months. Um, we also work with smaller budgets. So we took a, a small carpenter in Sydney um, with only $500 a month and got them a $20,000 job in their first month of ads. So um, a lot of good results, but they're the standouts for me in the last 12 months. Some great stories. You know, ultimately we're marketers. We're not people that just put ads together. There's plenty of those, but we think like marketers to drive actual results. If I've piqued your interest, then click on the link below, head over to our page, uh, and there you'll find a diary. You can book a time that suits you, and Jamie and I will jump on a call with you and ascertain what are the business results you need and can we get them for you. All right, let's get back to the podcast. You know, it's, it's incredible that um, there's a bit of a culture uh, in, in modern day church, probably, you know, that, maybe not church, just across the body, that's like, when it's that tough, when it's that tough, you're doing it wrong. Which I don't agree with, right? I, I, I'm like, if it if it's that tough, you're probably doing it right. Because 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 I, I I can't see anybody in scripture that had an easy run. Right. And and I think it's incredible that the Lord, you 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 kind of fall foul to the broken culture of the shop. You extract yourself. You go and catch a new kingdom. And he's like, now I want you to take that back into that shop, right? You know, like, exactly. because there's a lot of people, I'm sure around you at that time, who were like, why would you do all of this? Why would you do all, because yes. I don't know how many men there were in the shop. Was there 15? Was there 20? Like, that's a lot of yeah. grief yeah. for, you know, I don't know, but you probably had people saying to you, yeah. you, you know, you, you can preach to thousands if you, you know, over here and, you know, why would you, why would you fight for this little ecosystem, you know, and, and, uh, but, but isn't that exactly what Christ did? He went and hung out with them. Like, you know, I think you and I could be good friends because, <laughs> <laughs> because, that's a very rare perspective that I've gotten from people over the years. In fact, a lot of our friends back then said, you're selling out. What You're not pursuing your calling. God's called you to be a pastor to work in a church. What are you doing going back into this, this business world, this machine shop, this blue-collar work that is so broken? Why does God even care about that? You're and, and it really was difficult because we had very, very little support from the Christian community during those dark years. Yeah. You're, you're right on. And, and of course, now they look back and go, hey, David, what a great work for the Lord, right? And you're like, where, where were you? Where were you 25 years ago or whatever? So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, we, we tend to throw stones at what we don't understand. And, you know, that, that's why he needed you, right? Because if you think about your upbringing, it built a resilience inside of you that you were, you were the right person to go back and face it because somebody that wasn't um, as secure or, or a street smart or a strong wouldn't have been able to turn it around. I'm keen to kind of go back to like, so what was it like with your dad then? So, cause he can't deny the fruit forever, right? So what was that like when you went back? 
so it, it was interesting because he had been begging me to come back for five years, but he knew I I became this weird Christian person with a completely set of different values that he, he couldn't comprehend or understand. So when I came back and, and we came back about six months before we, we moved back and I said, dad, um, I have an idea. I want to float this by you. And he said, okay. And I said, um, Tracy and I, my wife, we'd like to come back and, and help, you know, help the business so you could retire. And he just got all giddy. He was all excited. And I said, but dad, we're going to have two radically different styles. Um, you tend to rule with an iron fist, the authoritarian model. Um, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to try to bring all these different values in and, and we're going to have teamwork. We're going to have open meetings and honesty and vulnerability and commitment to excellence in different ways. And, oh yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. That's great. That's great. But once it got put into action, he really had a hard time. He couldn't understand um, just how I operate and try to offer grace and forgiveness. But at the same time, we had some horrible people working with us. So how do you deal with that in a loving, you know, stewardship sort of way? And he he literally didn't understand at all. So within, I think it was in the first year, the quarter barrel was still there. There's parties every night. And I, I finally made it uncomfortable with some of the employees that were joining in my, in with my dad, you know, drinking. And, and sure enough, they stopped hanging out. They stopped coming in or after work. And people said, why don't you just rip the quarter barrel out? Because my dad needed to do that. He put it in there and I needed to walk that line of honoring him and loving him and not, but not disrespecting him. And he still had a lot of authority there. And so there was this weird transition that went in. Uh, and I still remember the day that he, he uh, emptied the beer out. And he retired pretty quickly. He said, you know what? This is not for me. I, I respect what you're doing, but I can't work here anymore. Um, and as the years went on, uh, he became more and more proud because he could see the business started to flourish. The infighting stopped. The quality, the and even the, the profit you know, increased. Uh, the stability of the business, it, all these kingdom values that really are necessary to make a business successful, you know, being honest and, and being committed to excellence and building a team and all of those things. He, he at, at the end, he died 12 years ago, but he was very, very proud at the end. But uh, yeah, he, he was the sort of hard guy where, you know, he had never probably been told he, his father loved him or hugged him. And so he didn't really know how to respond to me a lot of ways. But I remember before, shortly before he died, he said, you know what? You're doing it right. The way you're raising your kids, and the way you run the business. And um, it was really, really powerful. I knew he loved me. I knew he was proud, but it was hard. I mean, on so many levels, it was so hard. Yeah, that would be tough. Um, so because uh, I just want to go a little bit deeper on some of that timeline, if we can. Yep. Um, yep. yep. Like because i mean i'm aware that when you bring the kingdom principles to a business that it normally means that you have a better business even just commercially you know because you end up with better team more discretionary effort better customer relationships like just even practically normally exactly but, yep. but did it did it go backwards for a while like what 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 happened to the profitability when you come in there's two leadership styles they clash how long did it take until it started to really yeah. pay off? What was that period of time like? Well, I'd say the first two years were the roughest because we had three employees that did a, had a mutiny. You know, they they decided to start a business on their own. They wrote our customers and told them how horribly we were. Uh, the fighting got worse in fighting. Once we uncovered the the mutiny and the other business, um, obviously those three three employees were gone. 
it was it was very very ugly because anytime there's a transition in business, I mean, how often do you have massive change of staff? And that's and, and my my master's is also in in systems theory in a family business, and my, and one of the the hypotheses I have is that the more dysfunction you have in the business or any culture, especially in a business, once you take it over or you change management, uh, the higher dysfunction, the higher the turnover. So I thought, okay, we'll probably lose 50 or 50 percent of our employees. <laughs> we lost 80% of our employees um, in the in the in that first five years. And so then I had to make a decision. If we're going to hold this together, I got to stop hiring, you know, for skills and hire for character. I can teach skills, but I need people I can trust. I need people I can work with. And we weathered that pretty good. Uh, when I first came back, we were actually going into a little bit of a recession. Uh, but we're in the we're in the service industry too. When machines break, we're we're pretty well we're desperately needed usually. Uh, so my father had he had a great foundation of the business, quality, value, and service. He really lived that out. But it it really ate him up though because he wasn't a, a people person and managing people. So we had a good foundation, but the stress of managing people that were constantly fighting different factions you couldn't trust. Uh, that's what really burned him out, and it was it was destroying me in the process too. So a few years, like uh, you, because you said business became more profitable. How long did you have to kind of fight for to get that outcome? I, I would say it was, you know, like I said, two years were really rough, um, and then in year three, four, five, it we were pretty flat, and then it started to grow. You yeah. know, then the customer base started to understand. Okay, this this guy's for real. The business is and. Uh, it can continue in the second generation. Uh, those relationships started to grow and build. And I, we haven't had a down year, I think, since. You know, it's been 25 years. I think the thing that I'm kind of fishing for there, and I don't know whether the listeners pick it up, but that's six years of fighting in a, yeah. in a, <laughs> yeah. in a culture today where it's like, I'm going to give it a go for 90 days and see what happens. Right? Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, Yep. And for you, you probably didn't have a time frame because you felt the call of the Lord to just go back. So right. it, doesn't, it doesn't need to have a, oh, give it a year, right? Like a lot of people, you're, <laughs> you're, you're just there. You're, you're going you're gonna to do it until the Lord yeah. says otherwise. So, you know, I just think that's an important principle for so many people to realize that greatness can't happen in 365 days, right? You know, it, you, know you, you managed to do it inside a decade. For some people, that's quite quick. Well... And, well, I would add to that, though, you know, was that I look at it, it took 20 years to really change the culture, mm -hmm. right? I've been doing this for 30, but we really started to see, felt like we had fruit. And, and in a very simplistic ways, I say, well, it took, it took a good 10 years for the bad people to be outnumbered by the good people, <laughs> you know, and understand who you can trust and who, who really has your back. Yeah. And I didn't really have peace that, okay, we are on a really solid footing. We are, we are a different company until probably around year 20. Mm. And, and I think that's, that is, that's the way it is with families. I think at any time we're trying to change culture, it doesn't happen quickly, as you said. Yeah. So now that you're on the other side of that, you're 30, 30, however many years into this, was it worth it? <laughs> you know, if you would have asked me that 10 years ago, I go, oh. I don't know, but but it was it's always been a matter of obedience. It was always really clear. There's several times I tried to sell the company or just get out, and the Lord made it really clear. No, no, this is where I want you. Um, 
I was asked this question today on a Zoom call by by a, a businessman who said who we're talking we, we get into the craftsman with character what we're doing with students now, and he said, "Do you feel like God orchestrated your entire life for this moment for this season?" And I just laughed and I said, "Yeah." I said, "I, I look back at fifty plus years of him or taking all the good, the bad, and the ugly, and so many things I couldn't understand what I was going through." Uh, you know, we we don't learn from our successes. <laughs> we learn from our failures and our struggles. And I look back now and go, Lord, I needed every one of those to prepare me for what you've got now. You know, I literally wrote down here in our first five minutes, nothing's wasted because I want to come back to that point. Because <laughs> I know how this conversation's going to end with what's next. And I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, I can't believe it. But before we get there, I, I want to talk about the code of conduct that you brought into the business because yep. it's, it's, I mean, I read it, right? It's funny, it's heavy, it's cheeky. Um, and, uh, and, and I can imagine when you brought that in, a, a bunch of rough blue collar guys would have been like, what the heck is all this about, right? But, um, and so so what, t- tell us, maybe take us through some of the points, but also what, what was the thinking behind creating this code of conduct? Well, it it was part of my my doctorate in trying to figure out this this whole uh, workforce sustainability issue that we were all that we're all dealing with globally, and and I and dealing with blue collar guys and thinking you know what you got to have it simple you got to have it direct almost in your face, it's got to be in a way that that is is just truth and to me it's the gospel put in blue collar terms, because again I'm stuck between a angry alcoholic atheist father and my devout mother. And so my whole life has been translating the gospel in terms that um, are contextualized with non-church people. People don't have a clue what a lot of scriptures are talking about. So I thought, how do I communicate in a way that makes sense to them? And we are such a self-centered culture. So the number one is I teach them. We are, I am not the center of the universe. Yep. <laughs> Very to the point. And number two is closely behind that. I do not know everything or nearly as much as I think I do. Because if we're going to have a culture that that we all get along with each other, our number one quality has to be humility. And if we don't have humility, we just don't get along. And, and all sorts of things flare up. And then it just keeps going down the list. You know, um, There's dignity and purpose in, in my trade. Where blue-collar guys, we are often overlooked, taken for granted. I often say, you know what, the world not the world literally would not our civilization would not exist without us. We're the one that's building stuff, creating stuff, making the lights on, flushing the toilet. You know, I look at your coffee cup, your book, your phone, your clothes, everything in your studio was all made by blue collar folks. And so I want to affirm them. One, you're not the center of the universe, but you there you have a lot of God-given dignity, right? You you need to recognize that in, in yourself. And we got to get over the lie of that money is what it's all about, because that's a, a lie from the pit of hell. And so pay is a reward for my efforts, but it's not my main motivation. And and then number four, though, is the one that really starts to hit home from with with people, especially the kids. Um, the world needs me. You know, the world needs really the world needs me. What are you what are you talking about? Like every person is uniquely gifted and talented and we need your best efforts because it's, that's what the kingdom is all about is. God is calling you, you know, because you're special and, and, and we mean that. And, you know, we, and it's, it's those kind of things that it, it's just kind of resetting the culture for, from a biblical perspective, kingdom perspective in, in non-religious terms 
which the way our cultures are these days, we got to translate the gospel in the ways that people understand. I love it. And when I read it, because you've got it up in the in in the in the shop, I, I thought that's that's awesome. And uh, everyone could do with their own version of that because it wasn't it wasn't Christianese, right? And well, no. it's it's not Christianese, right. and uh, but it's kingdom principles, and and that's really cool. But uh, exactly. But you can just imagine that over the years, the guys in the shop just get that get that inside of them, even if they yeah. resist it at the start. It just kind of gets inside of them, and yeah. and they start to live it out, and uh, and and that can only ever yeah. be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's amazing to watch yeah. some of these blue collar guys that are, you know, hardly riding. You know, they get they just they're tatted up. They got the ponytails. They they just, pardon my my language, but they just they look like badasses. I don't know how else to say it. Some of them are just scary looking. But once you get to know their hearts and their woundedness, right, and their their issues deep down inside, they have amazing hearts. And and they are just amazing men and women who who care for people. They care for each other. They want to be affirmed. They want to give their best efforts. They want somewhere to belong. They want a deeper sense of purpose. And a lot of them are so wounded they're shocked. They're they're so resistant to believe that somebody could actually be truth truthful with them and love them and care for them. I've had so many guys tell me over the years, like, I don't get it, man. I, I mean, are is this for real? I can't believe I get to work in a place that treats that we treat each other like this because I've been looking for this my whole life, right? Yeah. And and so we have these stereotypes. I think of blue collar people, but. Um, they're just like all of us. We're, we're just all broken on different levels. That's awesome. All right, so let's move beyond the business now, right? Because that has that has become a springboard for um, a, a, a mighty work, really, right? So you set up Craftsman with Character, right? Which again is not a Christianese thing. So I'm a big fan, um, and uh, and and so you now, I guess, are going to a younger generation. Um, you can talk into it, but just you know, matching up, um, you know, blue collar businesses with, with young kids that have a natural bent maybe, or maybe because of their own brokenness, right? You're giving them an opportunity to get amongst, you know, some, some good wisdom. Yeah. And when I, cause I read, I went on the website and read the stories and listened to some of those young kids. And, uh, you know, I think boys and girls, I think, you know, that, that are there. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like far out, like, you're able to you're able to be the solution that you didn't have when you were a kid which is the fingerprint of god right if you i don't know you, you yeah. if you had had somebody like that and then my mind went straight to um 1 corinthians 4 15 and, and, and it's the one that says there's many teachers but there's very few fathers and uh, and and you are basically being a father to a generation of of potentially you know machine shop operators without without all the weirdness right you're able to just love on them support them put a structure around them put people around them um and and not let them you know fall foul to the culture that wants to just consume them so t- take us through that where where did that whole idea come from so you said all that so beautifully thank you um and i never haven't thought of it in some of those terms that you brought up as being a father but i am you know and i'm a grandfather and what hit me uh, it was, I think it was 2010. Yeah, it was 2010. I, my, our tech ed teacher, our high school, we're a small town, 5,000 people in the high school that I grew up in. Uh, our tech ed teacher said, Hey, could you come up here? We need to revamp and, and update our tech ed department. 
So I went up there and there was equipment that I ran literally 30 plus years before, shoved into a corner, mothballed, old manual lathes, mills, and different kinds of equipment. And I'm looking around going, oh my gosh, you know, this nostalgia for one, like, wow, I, I was here. But the, the thing that God spoke to me when I was there, I'm looking around at these kids and I go, these kids were me. These kids are me. This is this is who I was back in high school. I was I was a late bloomer. I was not doing well in most of my classes, but I was doing great in all the tech ed classes. I had little to no sense of purpose, incredibly insecure, didn't fit in with, with most of my class, I felt. And I felt God said, these kids need to be reached. These kids are overlooked and taken for granted. These are the least of the least in your community. And, and these kids were you. So what can you do? So I, I actually, I was challenged by a mentor to research a lot and figure figure out teaching theory and, and what it would take to reach its generation. And I realized that there's two things, you know, one, the character part of it is just total lacking. Kids, you know, they don't even know what it is. They never talked about it. But I often say that we all need two things, and that's a deep sense of purpose. Um, there's no reason to get up in the morning. Why did God create us? And God created every one of these kids for a reason. And the other part of it is healthy relationships. God created us for community, purpose, and relationship. So I thought, how in the world do you do that with these high school kids who have no exposure? They don't even know what jobs are out there. And over 50% of our population are tacit learners. We learn by our hands, um, if not more. And so the, the course we experimented with was we, we and I talked to my local high school, and I said, hey, I got an idea. Do you mind if I do this? And like, great, give it a shot, whatever. But four days a week, we have a job shadow in our shop and different different businesses in the community, just with blue collar people. It could be an auto salvage yard, auto mechanic. Um, it could be the city works department, guys who are working with their hands in our machine shop. So four days a week and we flip the educational models. So rather than putting them in a classroom, you know, and just driving them nuts and they're failing their classes, often they are, uh, let's take them out of that and give them something to do and put them around really awesome, professional, blue collar folks, tradespeople, right? That are craftsmen. And one day we get them in a classroom and we explore and we deconstruct their worldview. We, we just blow it up because, and we expose what our culture is trying to tell us about what it means to be happy, successful, and you know, whether it's power, sex, money, et cetera. And we expose that like, okay. And they get that. They know that's a lie. All those things are, they, they intuitively understand that this culture has sold them a bag of lies and it's destroying them. That's not worth, worth buying into, but nobody's offered them an alternative. So then we rebuild it and say, okay, here's here's what it means to to be a person of dignity and and to to express, you know, quality in everything that you do and having a sense of purpose and understanding your giftedness that you're uniquely created and made to do really awesome things, whatever whatever that might be. Because we don't have a hierarchy of jobs. I mean, all jobs are necessary. We got to get rid of that spiritual hierarchy of pastors, missionaries, et cetera, like I talked about. And really, if you look at Jesus, he wasn't just a carpenter. He was a tecton in Greek, which is really a stonemason. He was doing, he could be, a, he might've been a contractor. He was building homes, digging wells. I mean, there's so many different facets to what he what he did. It was far beyond just being being a carpenter. And so if he, if, if God the Father sent his son to be that kind of a craftsman, well, why do we denigrate and look at, look down on the tradesmen and craftsmen in our culture? So I really work to elevate the dignity of these kids and help them realize how special their gifts are. And at the same time, show partner them with people in the workplace. 
that want to mentor, that want to leave a legacy behind, that that want to feel like they made a difference in somebody's lives. And our businesses across the world are full of these types of people in their 50s and 60s or even 40s that want to invest in the next generation. So we discovered that this generation wants to be mentored. They want someone to care for them and invest them and, and show them the way. And we have all these people in our businesses on the shop floors and job sites who want to mentor them. So our Craftsman Character Program is really putting the two together and letting the magic happen. And the other thing I'll say is we call it Craftsman with Character because character, they're not just words. They're actually life skills that we need to be successful no matter what, what we do. It's, it's how God wired the universe. There's got to be a level of goodness in this that gets expressed through our humility and our craftsmanship and our integrity and our, our you know just ability to communicate and be teachable and all those things. So the kids we talk about in the class, but those are just words, until they see all those qualities emulated and lived out on the job sites. Now, now they're like, wow, humility is actually a skill, right? Being a team player is a skill. Being paying attention to detail is a skill. Showing up on time is a skill. And they start to put the two together and they realize, and they see these older guys and, and women that are living it out and they go, wow, they're, they went through a lot of crap in their life. They were broken, but look what they became. I could be that too. And then you see these relationships start coming together and it, it is absolutely a transforming experience for these kids over a 16 week course that it just blows us away what God's doing with it, with the, and, and again, it's not me. It's, it's putting the kids, putting a model together where the kids can spend time with older people in the context of work, which is again, what God created us to do. When we go back to Ephesians 2.10, we are as workmanship created to do good works and people define good works very narrowly, but good work could be running a lathe, you know, framing a house, plumbing, a, whatever. There's so many different facets that God was a work we called us to work. And I, I really believe we are closest to God when we're actually working. Yeah. Uh, was it the chariots of fire where he says, I feel God's presence when I run, you know, like, yeah, I, I feel God's presence when I build a business every day. I feel God's presence when I hire people. This conversation we're having is 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 getting louder and louder around the world. There are more and more people who are doing this. And, you know, um, I mean, I have a very similar story. I'm not going to go through it because I feel like I tell my story on these podcasts way too much. But I was I was also told I would start a big church and be a big, you know, blah, blah, blah. And all I wanted to do was run businesses, you know. Um, and, uh, and, but luckily the Lord helped me just understand that business is, is where I'm going to have my greatest impact. So, um, what are, what are some stories? So if you did this, if you've been doing this since sort of 2010, by now you would have had some 15, 16 year old kid that was probably going to be delinquent. Who's now at least <laughs> on better yeah. tracks, right? So yeah. what, yeah. uh, yeah. what are some, what are some stories? Well, I have a number of stories, but I, a common story and it's repeated over and over is the this 15 16 year old kid who's failing or has his he has a d average in in school and his counselors don't know what to do with him and parents are just totally frustrated away they're in trouble with the law they're running away um they don't even know if they're going to finish high school and one of the earlier stories we took a one of these young young men came into it his mother was very, very frustrated away, frustrated with him and in one semester, he went from a D student to an A student. And everybody's like, what happened? And we have and we have story after story like that. Like, how in the world are these kids all of a sudden making the dean's list? We don't get it. And some of these young guys, I, I think one in particular, 
um, hated school, absolutely hated it. And he got in our, our, our class, took the class, straight A's. We sent him to tech ed school, straight A's, dean's list, uh, all four semesters, two years. They asked him when he graduated, would, they stay in, would he stay and help teach? <laughs> I'm going, hold it. This is a kid that everybody threw away and took it for granted that he's, he's a nobody, he's a loser. My average age in my shop now, we have about 40 employees. Um, in most manufacturing businesses, the average age is in, in the 50s, mid 50s, if, if not later. My average age right now in our shop is 29. And some of these kids who are absolute throwaways that people didn't give a time of day to are some of my most awesome ethical leaders. Um, and I can't even say that they're Christian yet, but I know they're responding to our discipleship, our yeah. mentoring. One of my good friends, and, and here's kind of a fun quote, um, if you look carefully at the Gospels, salvation is not a prerequisite for discipleship. And I had to mull that one over a bit. Hold it, salvation, real, hold it. Jesus started discipling the disciples before they knew what they were getting into before they were actually, quote, saved. And I've taken that to heart that these kids are responding to somebody teaching them ethics and teaching them a way of life that has dignity um, and pride in what you're doing. And they just, they they hunger for it. They long for it. Because I, again, I think the world has just sold them such a faulty bill of goods that they just respond to love and purpose and the kingdom. They don't know what the kingdom is a lot of times, but oh my gosh, they just respond to it. So I get really excited because I've seen so many kids that are just turned around within four months that are just going, hold it. I, I had one kid um, came into one of my favorite stories. He literally came into the class with a with this hair combed over his face. You couldn't even see him. And he would put his head down on the table. His forehead would smack the table when he would come in for the first few weeks. And as the course went on, um, he cut his hair. He took off the hoodie, pulled his pants up. And some of the teachers at school said, we didn't even recognize him. We, we literally physically could not recognize him. And he was a young guy who was very behind on his reading levels. So we actually got him a tutor. Um, we hooked him up with one of our mentors in, in our shop who had really a similar background. And you just see the kids blossom. You know, We don't really know what became of him, but mm -hmm. we saw so much growth that was just radical. And that's what drives me right now because we have a whole lost generation that needs fathers. And that's that to me is how can I help a lot of folks be fathers and mothers to these kids that are desperately are desperate for it. You know what? Just hearing your story, all you did for that kid is the same as God did for you when you went for that first run. Yeah, you just you're right. Said you matter. I yeah. I see you. The whole system yeah. has ripped you off, but yeah. I see you. And and that's all it takes for some people to go really. In that case, I'll, I'll clean my act up, yeah. you know, and and uh, and that's pretty incredible. So, I mean, listening to this podcast, right, is, is a bunch of people who um, like like the way you're talking and the way that we think is just kindred. Right. So what are some of the leadership lessons that you've picked up um, during this journey of, you know, building a business and then d using the business to, to, to do your assignment, as we would say? What are some of the leadership lessons that you've picked up that somebody listening to this would be like, yep, yeah, I want to I want to hang on to some things now. What what's Dave learned that I can learn? Yeah. Well, I, I keep I think the very main lesson that I keep learning is the healthier I can be, the bigger impact that I have on those around me. And and it's and it does. It's not selfish. 
Um, it's understanding my issues, how broken I am and working on that and spending time with God every day. My, my daily routine is literally to get up in the morning and as I, you know, I don't want to use the buzzword quiet time, but it's my time. I just sit quietly before God. And I said, and I, and I sit there and I pray and I go, Lord, where are my stress points today? Where am I feeling anxiety? Because those are the areas that you're going to press into that you're speaking me in those, in those places. And if I don't deal with them, I become toxic, right? All of us, we can walk into a room without saying a word and people know exactly what, what kind of mood we're in. And we change the whole energy. We change the dynamics. My staff will tell me they can just by the way I walk in, if I'm having a bad morning and I go, Lord, I don't want to be that kind of person that's toxic. And I, and in, in order for me to be a transformational presence, I personally need to be transformed. And so that by far and away, that's, that's what I, I, that's what I would tell people more than anything. You got to figure out your issues. We all have them. And if you're not in touch with them, that's a breeding ground for, for a lot of dysfunction and toxicity. Um, so that, that's definitely number one. And, and I think number two is, is just um, being vulnerable. And that's not a popular word today. Um <laughs> we're getting filmed we're, we're filming for our craftsman with character class because we're spreading it and we're being asked to spread it nationally and so we're doing a training series for facilitators of the course and i said the number one thing if you're going to be a facilitator and i use the word facilitator not teacher because with these kids they don't like the word teacher because that all writs you know so i have to use a different word and, and we and we teach the class we're really facilitating a very open safe environment and discussion to help the kids uh, you know, really come to understand who they are and what life is about. So I kept emphasizing that as a leader, as a facilitator, I need to be vulnerable with those around me and be very open and honest. And the camera guy finally said, okay, hold it. I really don't like that word vulnerable. As a, as a manly man, that just really makes me feel uncomfortable. And I said, okay, it's not a wimpy word. It takes mm. a tremendous amount of courage to, to apologize, to be very open and let people know that you're struggling and that these are some of your issues. And that gives them permission to be open and honest. And that's when depth happens. That's when a team comes together and really supports and cares for each other that you can do incredibly powerful things. But if everybody comes in with an ego and tries to you know, hide and just be, I'm this, I'm that, it, it doesn't work. It, it always comes out. So I, I'd say those are my two issues, my, my two main points. Um, be be transformed yourself and then be very open and vulnerable to those around you. And I, I think that's the kind of leader that people are, our society is hungering for right now. Authenticity. I love it. I mean, they're great leadership lessons. Um, I, uh, I, I kind of want to end by giving you just a bit of space to uh, just speak freely to our audience. You know, yeah. th there would be people that are, you know, listening to this right now and they're running on a treadmill or mowing the lawn or um, driving or whatever. And, uh, and, and they might be listening to you and going, Dave's got it all together. And, uh, and, and, and I've got a business here and, 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 and maybe they're facing a few big challenges. And uh, yeah. I just want to give you some space to say, okay, well, what, what do you want to, what do you want to say to those people? I would very simply go back to Matthew six thirty three, and God said, and Jesus says, you know, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, right? And all these things we added to you as well. Well, the book I wrote, Good Work, on this topic, I've, I came to understand that the gospel is really God's righteousness, his goodness being fleshed out. 
in Jesus, but he calls us to live a life of righteousness, which we, again, big, big theological term. But in this very essence, God calls us to be good people. And I think we overlook that and, and fail to realize that goodness is God's superpower. If you go back in the, Moses, the story of Moses and his encounter with God, and he says, okay, Lord, I need to see I need to see your face. And God says, okay, I will indeed cause my goodness to pass before you. And Jesus emulates goodness in such a powerfully, powerful, powerful way. In a world that is so broken and bad right now, it's those little moments of every decision. We say, Lord, what does it mean to be good in this situation? We want our kids to be good. We want our churches to be good. We want our businesses to be good. What does that really mean? And I and I would just really challenge people to ask that a thousand times a day in every business decision you make, every relational business or decision you make. I call it relational transactions. We have thousands of them throughout the day. What kind of a person am I being being at at this moment? Am I am I emulating? Am I is God's goodness flowing from me into everything that I'm doing? That's that's the gospel. And that's where the kingdom of God just breaks out in those little small decisions, moment by moment, day by day, that just catches people off guard going, hold it. Because when you break it down, bad is its own kind of hard. It has its own consequences. Good is hard, but it has a different set of consequences. And I think more than anything, God calls us to be humble enough to walk with him, to allow his goodness flow in us and through us. And that, I think, is absolutely life-changing, and it will change the culture of everything around us. That's really, really cool. You know, you're you're obviously a, you're a, you're a blessing to your family. You're a blessing to the shop. That you're a blessing to your community, uh, the the broader country, and you've been a blessing to us by you know giving us some of this time and uh, and and sharing a little bit about your story. Um, thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, one of my favorite things about running the podcast is I get to hang out with cool people. Um, it, and then, and then other people get to listen, right? But it's really just a selfish desire for me to hang out with cool people like you. Uh, for our listeners, um, as we always do, you know, like I want you to take a minute of review. There's really no point in listening to a, a podcast and then you just go about your day. I want you to pause for a minute and I want you to think about what were the, what's the top thing that Dave said that jumped out to you, right? What's the learning? What's the take home? What's the practical application from his knowledge? I want you to think about that. And of course, put it in the comments so that I can see what it is that's popping for you. All right, Dave, you've been a massive blessing. Uh, really appreciate you. And, uh, and for the listeners, we'll see you next week for the Kingdom Business Podcast.